0: reading is from Hebrews chapter 12, reading from verses 18 to the end, and that's on page 1145, 1145, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 to the end. A wonderful picture of uh, what Jesus has done for us. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further words be spoken to them, because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkling blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire this is the word of the lord and now if you are able would you please stand for the gospel which can be found in luke chapter 13 verses 10 to 17 and it's on page 988 page 988 luke 13 10 to 17. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues. And a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, There are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, You hypocrites! with all the wonderful things he was doing. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, O Christ.
1: May the words of my mouth and the thoughts of all our hearts be now and always acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. If you'd like to be seated. Charles Swindoll quotes this poem as an antidote to hypocrisy. The world needs people who cannot be bought, whose word is their bond, who put character above wealth, who possess opinions and a will, who are larger than their vocations, who do not hesitate to take chances, who will not lose their individuality in a crowd, who will be as honest in small things as in great things, who will make no compromise with wrong, whose ambitions are not confined to their own selfish desires who will not say they do it because everybody else does it, who are true to their friends through good report and evil report, in adversity as well as in prosperity, who don't, do not believe that shrewdness, cunning and hard-headedness are the best qualities for winning success, who are not ashamed or afraid to stand for the truth when it is unpopular, who can say no with emphasis, although all the rest of the world says yes? Well, Jesus was one such a person. He stuck to the truth and the vision set before him. In his day, he challenged wrong thinking and unhelpful traditions. It brought opposition, of course. But Jesus held firmly and courageously to what he knew was right. And today he calls people to be courageous in showing his love to others and speaking about him. He calls us to find ways to reach out with that love despite any opposition that that may create. And to do so faithfully. Jesus had a particular vision before him, and it is the hope that Christians hold to ever since. It is the dream hope of a new and better world, one where God's kingdom rule is present here on earth as in heaven. Jesus doesn't appear to keep the rules. He takes the initiative and is provocative. He challenges oppressive and unhelpful rules and questions the place of tradition. God always challenges injustice. Here in the Gospel reading, there is an impact on two individuals and the crowd. The primary issue is not the use of the Sabbath or the definition of work. Jesus may be deliberately contentious, but it's because he has clear objectives. The woman finds release from her physical condition and responds in praise. The leader of the synagogue is threatened and remains unmoved. The crowd is challenged and responds by rejoicing. Notice at the start that Jesus hasn't abandoned the religious institutions of his day. He worships and teaches in the synagogues as he moves around, and as the local authorities allow it. That doesn't prevent him from challenging what he saw was wrong. There are some today who look around for the perfect church. They criticise what they see as the faults in many churches. The problem is that there is no perfect church in this world. There will always be things about a particular denomination or local church that some of us may not like. But there is no reason to give up on the church And if there are genuine errors in the church, then it's far more effective to challenge it openly from within. In our gospel passage, we see how Jesus immediately picks up on the need of one particular woman. We don't know much about her, and she's not mentioned by name. But to Jesus, she is important as an individual Whereas to the synagogue rulers, it is the institution that's important. This woman has been bent over and unable to straighten for 18 years. No one seems to have noticed that she needed help and care in that time. Jesus sets the woman free. The phrase Jesus uses later in referring to her condition is that she has been untied. Her condition had tied her up for many years. No wonder she was moved to praise God for her release from what must have been a very uncomfortable condition. The synagogue ruler is annoyed by Jesus' action. First of all, It undermined the ruler's authority in his eyes. Jesus didn't consult him before he healed the woman. But more important to the ruler was the fact that this was a breach of the many rules and regulations regarding the Sabbath. The ruler doesn't even refer his comments to Jesus. His comments are made to the people about not coming to be healed on the Sabbath rather than direct to Jesus in criticism of what he'd done. Jesus is not polite in his response. He calls all those who support the synagogue rulers stand as hypocrites, people who play act. Of course it was hypocritical of the ruler not to refer his criticism direct to Jesus. Jesus. But it was mainly the approach to the law that Jesus objected to. The leaders added to the original biblical commands many little nitpicking regulations of their own, but they could soon set aside those for their own purposes. These people showed more concern for their animals than the humans in their community. Animals could be led out to give them the necessary water on the Sabbath. Nothing could be carried, of course, so the animals were led out on a chain. Water could be drawn out and put in a trough, but the bucket must not be held. They were very carefully defining what constituted work. We can become just as hidebound in traditions as these religious leaders were if we're not careful. Some traditions are good and help us in our communal life, but we can all be resistant to change and threatened by the prospect of doing things differently. It's important from time to time to reflect on what is helpful, what is within God's will as we understand it from scripture, and consider if change is needed. The fact that the woman's condition had bound her life meant that Jesus saw it as a must that she should be healed immediately. He puts her condition down to satanic activity and Satan has to be overthrown by the incoming kingdom. The woman was not evil herself, but her condition was evil. That is the constant struggle of this world, that evil holds many in hostage. And it makes this a chancy rather than a safe world. Jesus' action in healing the woman was a sign of God's kingdom breaking in. Jesus had come to proclaim release to the captives, As he announced earlier in the Nazareth Synagogue. How concerned are we for those who don't know God? Are we regularly praying for them? Are we ready to share what a difference our faith makes to us in a sensitive and appropriate way? In John's Gospel, Jesus says that he is coming to bring life in all its fullness. If we know about that for ourselves, then we should be concerned to share it with others. In our first Bible reading from Hebrews, that was all about genuine worship. It refers to an incident in the book of Exodus. There, after being led through the desert, the people had come to Mount Sinai, and there Moses was to receive the Ten Commandments. But only he and Joshua were allowed to approach the mountain. It was considered holy because of God's presence. Similarly, when the people of Israel went to, to the temple, there were a series of courts. They only allowed certain people to approach close to the most holy place. At that time, no one had access to God. He was seen as unapproachable. Jesus has changed all that by what he achieved with his death on the cross. He opened the access to God for any who would trust in him. The synagogue rulers of Jesus' day had not got the message. They wanted to maintain their status as being the only ones who could direct the worship. It was only to be done according to set rules. A relationship with Jesus changes all that. But to maintain that relationship, we must put first things first. The first and most important thing is the worship of God. Selwyn Hughes writes, How true it is that unless we are involved with Jesus Christ in a loving and adoring relationship, we have nothing of eternal value to offer a dying world. We must come to a definite conclusion about this before we move any further. Our work for God must flow out of our worship. No exceptions, no rationalizations. Nothing must take the place of our first obligation, the first law of the soul, the worship of God. As Selwyn Hughes points out, we can let other things come before our worship of God, particularly in this frenetic age, all sorts of things press in on us to draw us aside. Eugene Peterson says of worship, Worship is a meeting at the centre so that our lives are centred on God and not lived eccentrically. We worship so that we live in response to and from this centre, the living God. Failure to worship consigns us to a life of spasms and jerks, at the mercy of every advertisement, every seduction, every siren. Without worship, we live manipulated and manipulating lives. We move in either frightened panic or deluded lethargy as we are in turn alarmed by spectres and soothed by placebos. If there is no centre, there is no circumference. People who do not worship are swept into a vast restlessness epidemic in the world with no steady direction and no sustaining purpose. The worship mentioned by Eugene Peterson is not just a coming together with other Christians for worship together. It's also about how our lives are lived daily in closeness to God, in regular prayer, in touch with his word, the Bible, in listening out and responding to his guidance, in sharing his love with others. Worship will help us to be that very real and genuine person that I mentioned at the beginning in that poem someone with that integrity in dealing with others and in coping with the ups and downs of this chancy life, someone with a savour of Jesus about them. Can we dare to be that person? Amen.